Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. Thanks so much for joining us, as you hopefully do every week here on the College Podcast. Aaron, let's just jump right into it. Um, uh, college baseball season has really taken a lot of shape. We're 12 weeks in, only two more weeks of the regular season for most teams, uh, three more weeks for those in leagues that don't have conference tournaments. But uh, we, we, we're starting to, uh, I think, really, Aaron, find out some answers. Uh, and I, I think we did early in the year that we, we very early on realized Virginia it was better than we thought coming into the year. Those three SEC East teams are outstanding. And I guess the biggest riser of the season has been Oregon State. Um, so why don't we start really quick with Oregon State? Because uh, the Beavers just keep doing it, Aaron. And uh, they did it again this weekend. They won a series against Cal. Oregon State, clearly they're going to host a regional, are they not? They're going to host a regional. They're going to probably yeah. host a super regional if they win that regional. Uh, why don't we just uh, – we've talked a little bit about the Beavers but we, we and with their injuries to Susac. What, what's their health status, and do we see the Beavers? Are they going to be full strength for the postseason? Uh, can they make another run to Omaha? Uh, you know, I, I think they expect to get Susac back um, before the postseason starts. So that would be a nice boost for them. But the fact that they keep doing this without him is pretty impressive, as we've talked about a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, this week, they, after losing a midweek game against Oregon and, and really getting badly outplayed in that game, uh, they bounced back and won a series against a ranked Cal team. And, you know, we actually did debate jumping Vanderbilt over them for number two. Uh, Vanderbilt does have a better overall record by about five games or so. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and Vanderbilt won a road series this weekend. But um, in the end, I mean, Oregon State is 13-3 and three against the top 25, John. That, to me, is very loud. They have not lost a weekend series. They haven't had any hiccups. They're in first place in the Pac-10. You know, they swept the other best team, Arizona State. I mean, their their resume is impeccable, and and I know the Vanderbilt fans are still going to give me hell because they do every week. It seems like, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean that's why we left that order the way it was. Yeah, it doesn't seem like uh, being number three is good enough for Vanderbilt. And if you wanted to be yeah. number one, you maybe you should have won that series at South Carolina. Would be my retort. Uh, as you said, Oregon State has not lost a weekend series all year, and really they're only they're they're only losses that have been uh, kind of bad losses was going on two against Fresno State the first weekend of the year, correct? Yeah, yeah, and they, you know, I mean, they, they've got uh, ten or eleven losses in the year, so they've had they've had a couple of losses here and there, but not, not on say, weekends. Yeah. Right, that's what I'm saying. I shouldn't say it's a. It's a uh, they went two and two that weekend where they lost those two to Fresno, uh, in a in a tournament. But that's really the only weekend where they didn't take care of business, basically. Uh, that's right. And, and to me, the amazing thing for them is just their pitching depth, their consistency on the mound. Uh, they've got an experienced Friday guy in Sam Gaviglio. Uh, they obviously have a guy in Josh Osich who can beat anybody or can can be dominant at times. I mean, I don't think no hitting UCLA is so much a great shakes. UCLA is not a great offense, but a no hitter is a no hitter. He's a power armed lefty. Um, they just seem like a a team that uh, where the the sum is greater than the whole of the parts, uh, and that's been it's been true of Oregon State several times before. You know. it's, a great, it's a great way to put it. They're, they're absolutely capable of making a deep postseason run. I mean, I think on paper, I think Cal's more talented than Oregon State. But, um, you know, the Beavers just took care of business like they do every week. They just uh, they just win, baby. You mentioned Cal. Let's talk about the Bears a little bit, Aaron. They were reinstated for the, their, their baseball program, reinstated on April 8th. They're basically a 500 team since then. A lot of that is because of who they've played. You know, Arizona, they have Arizona State and Oregon State since then. They went 1-5 and five against those teams. They won that series against Oregon last weekend. Now the Bears finish at UCLA and then home against Stanford. Um, 
were going over the rankings this week, we dropped the Bears out of the rankings. Uh, we haven't talked a ton about Cal on the podcast this year. But this team, Aaron, you look at them and UCLA, which is back in the rankings at 24. Their record against top 50 teams is not that great. That series with Cal and UCLA, is that a series for a regional bid? Or are both these teams, uh, you know, if Cal keeps losing series, are they are they in trouble if they lose those UCLA and, and, and Stanford series? It's starting to feel like they're sliding toward the bubble. I mean, Arizona, Cal, UCLA, those teams have been um, okay, but not great this year. And, and they've all uh, had their ups and downs a little bit. And, and that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we thought maybe Arizona was sliding toward the bubble a little bit. But I, I looked ahead and said Arizona's remaining schedule was favorable enough that they would be fine. Uh, and now they're back up to 26 in the RPI and they're fine. But Cal now, um, you know, Cal and UCLA are both in the 30s in the RPI. Cal is, is just 11 and 11 against the top 100. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're 12 and nine in the league, which is okay. But, um, you know, I, I think UCLA feels better about itself at 14 and seven in the league. Um, but you know, they're also, they're UCLA is below 500 against the top 100. They're, they're 11 and 13 in those games. So, um, if you compare those records to, for instance, the, the SEC bubble teams, uh, you know, most of those teams are, are, are have a lot more games against the top 100 and have so a lot of them have fared better too. So, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I think that's a very big series coming up in two weeks, especially for Cal now. There's been in a little bit of a funk. I mean, UCLA seems like it's right at its ship, sweeping that series up at Oregon this weekend. Um, even though UCLA is five spots behind Cal in the RPI, I feel a little more secure in UCLA's chances right now than I do in Cal's. I think they're both going to be in, but, but um, you know, it, right now it is getting a little bit hairy for those teams. It would behoove the uh, Bears to win one of those last two series. It would obviously behoove them to win both of them. But I would not want to be in Cal's shoes when you're talking about, you know, lose, if we were you to have lost four of your last five weekend series. Just, you know, obviously they don't look at the weekend series record. That's not on, that's not one of the things that they consider uh, in the RPI and then the, in the uh, Division One baseball committee meeting when they're dividing the, and deciding the 64 team field. They do look at RPI, Aaron, and on the boydsworld.com pseudo RPI. Uh, you know, like you said, Cal's ahead, but like you comparing them, and it's a good way to make a transition to the Southeastern Conference. You know, Arkansas wins a series this weekend at home against Florida. They seem to own the Gators in uh, Fayetteville, which is the, the longest trip that Florida has in the league. It's a, it's a haul from Gainesville, although I'm I'm pretty sure the Gators are flying charter there. I don't think they're bussing. I reckon. Yeah, the uh, I'm pretty sure I taught the, those guys that they've uh, a lot of le- a lot of teams in the SEC fly. Um, Ole Miss flies to Florida, which just shocked me. Um, I didn't realize they had that kind of money. But Arkansas is up at 16 now in the RPI. If Arkansas wins the SEC West, Aaron, are we looking at Arkansas hosting? It doesn't feel like Arkansas should host a, a regional, but at the same time, um, you know, we brought the Razorbacks into our rankings this week at number 23. Uh, they do have scads of money they're going to throw at this. And uh, at home... They're a very dangerous team. They've got to go to South Carolina, home to Ole Miss the last two weekends. Does, does Arkansas kind of have its own destiny in its hands as far as hosting a regional at the bomb? Oh, absolutely, I think. You know, they, they've been on the periphery of the hosting discussion for much of the season. I, there was an earlier stock report probably three or four weeks ago where we, we did have them hosting. Um, and, you know, certainly they needed this weekend. They needed a signature series win since their best series win before this was LSU, which, of course, has fallen off. Um, so they needed this weekend. I'll tell you, they're, they're 
you know, they're number 15 in the RPI. I think you mentioned they're 16 and 10 against the top 100. Um, those are indicators that the committee's going to like. You, you talked about the stadium issues. I mean, the stadium advantages that they have. Yeah, I, I think they got a pretty good chance to host. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be competing probably with, you know, like in Oklahoma, which is not that far away in that part of the country. Maybe a TCU, uh, which made a nice push this weekend uh, by by taking two out of three at Oklahoma State. Um, so there's still some competition there, but. Um, you know, the SEC gets four hosting teams all the time, so I, I think it's very reasonable to think that they, they might get, get a fourth one this year. Uh, but, uh, you know, South Carolina at South Carolina is a, a tough series for them. You have to imagine they should win that series against Ole Miss at home. They're very good at home. Um, you know, if they finish 500 in the league, that might be enough for them to host. It's, you know, Ole Miss, you mentioned uh, Arkansas winning that series against Florida, Ole Miss winning a series this weekend against South Carolina. Uh, seems like that's going to be the kind that's going to get Ole Miss, even though their their overall record is not that gaudy. There are a lot of SEC teams, Aaron, that have pretty ordinary overall records. You know, Georgia at 25 and 23 against Division One teams. Auburn 25 and 22 against Division One teams. Any of those teams, you know, uh, do you feel like any of those teams are uh, in danger of missing regionals? Like, is Ole Miss in with a 37 RPI? Or do they still have to t- keep taking care of business for them? It looks like that series with them in Mississippi State. Uh, they're home against Mississippi State this weekend at Arkansas. That's gonna be a, man, it's a huge rivalry series anyway, but the SEC this week is basically just chock full of ridiculous series. I'll tell you what, John. <laughs> this is this is very – the SEC West is, is a head-scratcher, and I think I actually just literally scratched my head when I said that. <laughs> uh, you know, it's – for one thing, this weekend, this past weekend was very strange. The SEC West went nine and three against the SEC East this weekend, which hasn't happened is, all year. That's right. I mean, the, the East has dominated the West. Even you know Georgia taking care of business for the most part against those West teams as, as the fourth team in the East. This weekend, Georgia loses a series to Auburn, but still manages to storm back on Sunday. I don't know if you saw that game. Georgia was not. down. Georgia was down nine to one against Auburn and stormed back to win it. They got a grand slam from Kyle Farmer in the ninth inning, I believe, uh, and, and and won it fourteen to ten. I mean, just a ridiculous game. But um, it, it's just a it's just a wild, wild league, and especially the Western Division. I've given up trying to predict who's the best team in that league, who's going to win it, because I just think it's five, maybe even six. Very evenly matched teams, and and you know LSU is now eight and sixteen. They're in last place. They look dead in the water after losing two out of three to Alabama. Um, but uh, you know, there's there's just there's a lot of storylines here. I mean, Alabama. We talked about their toughness after that tornado, and you know they've won out won two straight series in the wake of that thing. Um, Mitch Gaspar does a great job there. That's a very tough, mentally resilient team that that plays above its tools. Um, Mississippi State sweeping Tennessee this weekend was huge for them. I'm rambling all over the place, but that's how the that's West okay. is. The, no, the West I, leads you to ramble. It's <laughs> worth it. Uh, it's good stuff. It's not rambling if there's information in there. I mean, you look at next week, Aaron, you got Alabama at Auburn. I mean, huge rivalry, but huge implications because, you know, if Auburn, they're just too close to 500 to say they're sure in no matter what their RPI is. And the, and the Tigers better win some games. Yeah. And uh, and be above 500 if they want to get an NCAA tournament. Arkansas, South Carolina would be wonderful for the Razorbacks, case for hosting if they you know won some games on the road. They they have not won a series on the road in conference, and that's you know, a lot of teams that don't win road series in the SEC. But they're the better teams do. Um, yeah. If they want to be one of the, that fourth host, yeah, uh, you have Georgia, Kentucky. Again, Georgia's two games over 500. Kentucky's five and whatever they are in the league, five and 19, something like that. 
you yeah. you know, that that's a series. Even though obviously Alex Meyer can be anybody, he shut down uh, Vanderbilt this weekend, shut him out. Probable first round pick. You know that's going to be tough. It's tough to win that series, but that's a series. If you're Georgia, you kind of have to win. We just talked about Ole Miss, Mississippi State. I mean, I think very different teams. Ole Miss, maybe not as talented as past Ole Miss teams have been, but very physical, experienced. They got a couple lefties in Kraus and Wright that people like. Uh, David Goforth throwing the mid to upper 90s. You know, they they're competitive. Uh, that's a pretty good, pretty good club. And Mississippi State, a very athletic but young team. Uh, and then if you're LSU, boy, if you don't sweep Tennessee, forget it. I mean, Tennessee, the vultures are circling at Tennessee. They're five and 19 in the league. Uh, swept uh, each of the last two weekends by Vanderbilt, Mississippi State. At least they competed a little bit better in the last two games of that Mississippi State series. Um, but you know, that's that's one that LSU kind of has to sweep to get into regionals. Uh, I feel. Uh, yeah, do you feel- uh, no question. No question. I mean, they're eight and 16 in the league. I mean, I know that we've had teams with, with comparable records to that get in, in the last couple of years. I mean, you had a Oklahoma team that was nine and 17 actually get into a regional. Uh, but uh, but still, I mean, come on. There, there's so many teams ahead of LSU right now in the, in the SEC pecking order. Um, they they, they got to do some work. 27 RPI. I still don't I still don't understand that. Just Yes, they beat Fullerton, but they've played some weak sisters too. Don't, aren't those supposed to cancel out? I, I, I guess they don't. But um, I, I'm frustrated by that their RPI is that high, to be honest with you. And then, uh, and then the, but the, the big matchup is going to be Florida Vanderbilt. And the Gators drop to eighth in our rankings. Uh, Vanderbilt climbs to third after this weekend. Vanderbilt leads the SEC East by a game. Uh, the common threads of these teams are many. They have basically double A slash triple A caliber pitching staffs. In terms of depth, in terms of the number of guys that pro scouts turn in uh, as prospects, uh, they both—they're uh, the top of the SEC. I'll just roll out some stats here for you, Fitzy. Uh, I'm going to get stat heavy on you because because you're the expert and I'm the guy who can read uh, stats on the on the internet. Vanderbilt leads the the SEC in batting. Florida's second, although Vanderbilt leads the league in runs scored by a wide margin in conference games by almost 40 runs over Florida and Ole Miss, which are tied for second. Uh, ERA, they both are tied uh, with 60 earned runs allowed. <laughs> they both have a 255 ERA. They're tied for second behind South Carolina, which is amazing that South Carolina leads the league yeah. in ERA. I mean, again, kudos to those guys. Um, Vanderbilt, a little more power. They lead the league in strikeouts uh, as a pitching staff. They also walk a lot more guys than Florida in the exact same number of innings. Defensively, Florida has been a little bit better, and I'd say that fits the reputation Florida much stronger behind the plate, I would say, and Mike Zanino over over Kirk Casale, stronger up the middle probably uh, defensively than than Vanderbilt is. Maybe Vanderbilt a little bit better out, outfield defense. But these are pretty evenly matched teams. Uh, and in the preseason, Florida was our number one. Florida was your preseason national championship pick. Vanderbilt was my preseason number uh, national championship pick. Uh, Tim Corbett and Kevin O'Sullivan coached together at Clemson for many years uh, before they took their respective head coaching jobs. Uh, there's so many similarities with these two clubs. Um, you know, what are the state of these two teams coming in the next weekend series? Who's the hotter I mean, club? It's it. I think Vanderbilt's the hotter club. Vanderbilt is playing at a very high level right now. I mean, all the runs that they scored, you know, last week against Tennessee, and um, you know, I know that they got shut out by by Alex Meyer on Friday, but it's good to win a road series in the SEC. I mean, they, they I think Vanderbilt. Right now, it looks like a slightly more complete team to me, and I love Florida. You know, I mean, I've been I've been thinking all year long, right up until last week, I thought Florida was still the best team in the country. Watched Florida on TV a couple of times this weekend, and they're really good. 
but uh, I've been a little bit more impressed with Vanderbilt. I just think that their, um, you know, their 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 offense to me feels better than Florida's offense. Um, Statistically, and, uh, it's a better offense. Statistically, yeah, I mean, Florida, Vanderbilt has a better batting average, better on base, better slugging in league play, uh, and you know the same number of home runs, but more doubles and a lot more runs scored. Statistically, Vanderbilt is better. That well, there you go. And, and and that that to me, I think is is the difference between these two teams. Also, you know, as great as Hudson Randall is, I mean, I'd rather have Sonny Gray on Friday. He's he's, he's top five, top ten overall pick. He's got dominant stuff. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, Garvin versus Brian Johnson. I'd probably rather have Garvin. You know, Carson Whitson. I, okay, I'll give him the edge maybe over Taylor Hill, but I'm um, giving Vanderbilt the edge two out of three days in starting pitching. Bullpens are are a push, really. I mean, yep. uh, Vander, Vanderbilt has has got the the shutdown closer, whereas Florida has kind of got a closer by committee. Vander, I mean, Avery Moore has been insane this year. I don't know if you've seen his numbers. He's been outstanding, and he's he's going to go good. This was a guy who was a big time guy at a high school. I believe had Tommy John as a high school senior. Yeah. There was some kind of arm injury in there. I'm not remembering. It was Tommy John. It was TJ. But, I mean, he's 94-95 with ease. And I guess the X factor really for Florida right now, Aaron, is their moment of truth guy is Austin Maddox. And, I mean, I think we knew that he had pitching talent. But, I am I mean, three and two-thirds with a series, you know, let's not get swept. The ball's in Austin Maddox's hands. Uh, I think they maybe they have different kind, different guys who will close. But with their bullpen depth, you don't really expect to see someone go out there and go three and two-thirds innings. But, uh Austin Maddox did it Sunday, and he's been pretty good for them out of the bullpen. He's been really good for them out of the bullpen, but I'll tell you what. Ultimately, I would feel better about Florida if Maddox were hitting 15 home runs in the middle lineup and they had other guys doing the, the load in the bullpen. I mean, I, that's where they need him is to me is, is to be in the middle lineup and, and, and produce for them. And he, he's hitting 286. He's got two homers. He's slugging 335. This is a guy we had 70 raw power grades on. I know. Uh, no, out of high school. Yeah, this is a guy who the BB core bats have exposed his power, I and mean, there's no other way to put it. He has to make some adjustments next year if he's going to hit for power as a junior and get drafted as a hitter. And, uh, you know, if you get drafted as a hitter, where do you play him? I think he's going out on the mound next year. I don't think he's a – I don't think he's – I don't think it's premature to say that Austin Maddox is a draft prospect for next year as a pitcher and not as a hitter. And I'm not just doing that on the numbers. It's like where do you play him and what's the profile if he has five extra base hits with the BB core bats? I mean, that's just – that is the reality of his surroundings. You know, he is just not hitting for power. And if he doesn't hit for power, you can't you, – you don't send him out there because of his glove. So right. all that but, said, but I will, he's been outstanding on the mound. He has been. And, and, and I will say this too. You know, Mike Zanino has really, as you mentioned, stepped forward this year and kind of maybe replaced Maddox as the second power guy along with Preston Tucker. Absolutely. He's I think their first this, power guy. He's their number one right, power guy. Right. I think if the season ended today, I think Zanino's first team All American at catcher. I don't disagree with you. And, uh, I, you know, again, I, I, I'm, I have the stats in front of me. I do this a lot in the podcast. If you want to call it cheating, you can call it cheating. But Mike Zanino is leading the SEC in hitting in conference games, and he leads the mm-hmm. league in doubles as well. In conference games, hitting 430, 485, 699. And this and, guy's and, a, and he's a good defender behind the plate. He, and he's a son he of a shuts fan. down. He, I'm sorry, John, interrupt. He shuts uh-huh. down the running game. I mean, he's, he's uh, thrown out. Uh, yeah, he's 16 to 10 guys the whole year. Yeah, no, he, he's, he's 6 for 10, throwing guys out. Or 6 for 16, I mean, throwing guys out in SEC games. So he's shutting down. People don't run a lot on him. And when they do run, they've got, you know, 
he's got a better than one in three chance of throwing guys out, which is exceptional. So, I mean, he is he's a stud. Mike Zanina, for me, I agree with you 100%. He's first-team All-America catcher for me. And he's their best. he's been their best player this year. Statistically, he has been Florida's best position player. He's playing a premium right. defensive position well, and he's their best hitter by by a ways. So, uh, to me, uh, he's the key to their deal. And then offensively for Vanderbilt, uh, they're be- you know they have got a guy in the middle of their lineup, an Aaron Westlake, who's physical. He's a fourth year junior. He's got enough present strength to hit for power with these bats, and he's the best power guy in this in this series. And, uh, you know, they, they have complimentary. Kemp's been outstanding, especially in league play. Kemp's been outstanding for Vanderbilt, setting the table. I had to have a, maybe a little bit deeper lineup uh, than Florida does. Uh, I, didn't I agree think, with you. I didn't, I didn't think so. The numbers say they do, but we didn't think so coming into the year. But uh, I, I think depth of pitching staffs are equal. I think at the top of the pitching staff, I would take Vanderbilt. I think Vanderbilt's offense is a little bit better. So uh, it's it's amazing to me. I think we I, I thought Florida was the best team in the preseason. I picked Vanderbilt just to be a little bit different from you, but I think that you know on paper I think Vanderbilt's a little bit better right now, and, and they're the home team. So we'll see what happens on the field. But that's just going to be a tremendous series. I just can't wait. I cannot wait for that series here. And I think that's uh, no offense to the fact that South Carolina beat both of them, you know, but this is, this right. is the best series of the year, I think. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be hard to top it. And the rest of the SEC slate next weekend is ridiculous. So, uh, you know, thank goodness for the SEC. Uh, they make college baseball so interesting. Not that the rest of the league, the rest of the country doesn't have interesting stuff going on. And the Pac-10 has great tradition and great present history. And if the Pac-10 won another national championship this year, it would not shock me. But SEC baseball is a little bit different level than everybody else. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Aaron, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, there's no question. You're right. I mean, when it comes to uh, when it comes to as we've talked about many times, fan interest, facilities, and and of course the just the depth of the league. I mean, you know, the depth of quality teams. I mean, I think you and I both think that the Pac-10 is very deep this year too. But um, you know, to have ten teams kind of in the mix for regionals is is something. I actually think the Pac-10 is a little bit deeper, but I mean, uh, the top of the SEC is is crazy. Let's uh, take some uh, questions. On our Facebook page, uh, didn't, I didn't tweet about the podcast today, but our face, Baseball America Facebook page is uh, 8,700 uh, likes strong. So if you're on Facebook and you don't already like Baseball America on Facebook, go to uh, our Facebook page. Um, but uh, Robert Ungano, I'm sorry, Robin Ungano, uh, posted on our Facebook page, she's disappointed in uh, South Carolina's weekend. But they, on the other hand, North Carolina swept Maryland oh, want to know our thoughts as what has to happen for North Carolina to be considered a national seed. It's remaining two series with Georgia tech and UVA. And Aaron, that seems to be the big issue. There is, uh, yeah. you know, North Carolina took care of business. They swept, uh, you know, Maryland this weekend. Uh, but what does North Carolina have to do? Uh, do they have to win both those series to be a host? It feels like they do. Well, they, they, they certainly control their own destiny because they've got, uh, two other teams that are likely hosts in front of them coming up the next two weeks, like you mentioned. Um, I, I've still got them in the hosting category right now. I mean, they're, they're number three in the RPI. I mean, how often does the number three team not host? Right. Um, right. I mean, you know, it's just the way the committee looks at things. Um, so, you know, I mean, they can, they can make or break their season with the next two weeks, in my opinion. If they lose both those series, they're not going to host, I think. If they win one of those series, I think they will host. I think you're right about that as far as uh, – even if they – no matter what their RPI is, if they lose those two series, it's going to be hard to look at that team and say, okay, well, their last you know, several series, 
They lost to Miami at home. They would have lost at home to Virginia, and they would have lost a series at Georgia Tech. It would be hard to reward that team uh, despite its body of work uh, with a hosting. Uh, you know, Even if their RPI is considerably higher than, say, Arkansas's, Arkansas has a much bigger check to cut. And if, if, Arkansas, and if Arkansas is finishing well, um, that, that would seem to indicate that you know Arkansas would, would uh, or, or you know, Stetson and Miami, I guess, with other two teams in that discussion. Um, you know, Miami won that series head-to-head against North Carolina. The Hurricanes, uh, Aaron, we left the Hurricanes ahead of North Carolina in our rankings this week at 16, North Carolina at 17, because Miami uh, won that series at Chapel Hill a couple weeks back. Uh, they lost the home game to Hofstra, which is definitely a, hef- a head scratcher. Hofstra not very good. I think our sense is that Miami is overachieving this year based on its talent. Um, just talked to a scout yeah. in South Florida this morning that said Miami's position players are not very good. And that's right. the consensus of the scouts I've talked to, but uh, you, you don't sound like you're, you necessarily agree. I don't think they're overachieving because I don't think they've achieved that much. I think they're, you know, they were a back of the top 25 team in the preseason, and I kind of think that's what they are. You know, they they've got pretty good pitching. They're fairly athletic. They don't hit very well. They've got one quality series win all year at North Carolina. Um, and other than that, they've taken care of business against the, you know, the lesser teams in the ACC for the most part. I mean, I guess North Carolina State's, a, 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 you know, they swept NC State. That's a solid series as well. I'll give them that. Are we but, saying that uh, we should just crown them because they are who we thought they were? <laughs> that's that's pretty much what I think. I think they're exactly who I, I thought they were. I think they're back of the top 25 team like they were last year. I mean, maybe they win a regional like they almost did last year. Or they did, they did win a regional last year. Right, didn't they? right. I think they did. Uh, they they won that regional with Ford International and uh, and Texas A&M. In it. They, and and, and Texas, yeah, that's right. They won the and they beat Texas A&M in the final. But so. uh, that team overachieved a little bit to me. This team will overachieve it if it wins a regional, in my opinion. But other than that, I think they're they're about what we thought. But you want to talk about uh, the BB Core bats? Harold Martinez has as many sacrifice bunts as he has extra base hits this year. I mean, Jeez. he has he has nine sack bunts and nine extra base hits. So Austin Maddox and Harold Martinez need to get together and. Go lobby Dave Kylitz for a return to the old bats. Uh, that that uh, you're right, John. And, and I'll tell you what, that loss to Hofstra on Sunday was a killer for Miami. They're down to 20 now in the RPI. I think they were in the top 10 last week. Um, yeah, 22. A, the 22. Okay. I mean, it's 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 not good for their hosting chances. I already thought they were on the outside looking in. Uh, I like Stetson's resume more. Stetson is now number 13 in the RPI. They're 37 and 10 overall. They got a better top 100 mark, better top 50 mark. I mean, Stetson just keeps on taking care of business. Really impressed with that team. Um, and uh, I think they're going to host over Miami for sure. And they're doing it. We talk about these other top 25 teams, Aaron, like South Carolina, Oregon State, that are overcoming some injuries. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't Stetson playing without their number one no. starter right now? Uh, they that, had uh, been last last week. They were without their number one and their number two. Uh, this week they got Lindsey Coggle back. They still don't have Kurt Schluter, their number two, or number one and one A really with those two guys. Yeah, I think Schluter's but, had uh, a much better year. He's like eight and zero, like a one forty ERA. Coggle's a. Yeah, they're both. I think Schluter's probably a little bit better prospect too. But Coggle's been very right. steady for them. You know, it's kind of a stock right hander who throws a lot of strikes and has a good breaking ball and uh, competes. Uh, but Stetson, you know, they're. They're still rolling in a competitive league. You know, here again, East Tennessee State is not in second place in that league, 
but East Tennessee State, with kind of the unfathomably high RPI, goes on the road and wins two of three at NC State, putting themselves back, I think, in the bubble discussion. Yeah, um, no doubt. That was a pretty interesting weekend result uh, for the to, to look at this weekend. But uh, and I and foolishly, I did not get a chance to get out there this weekend. Uh, dog on Mother's Day and my anniversary. What am I thinking? Didn't go see uh, college baseball. You're a joke, John. It's hard to believe, Aaron, that once upon a time, the Baseball America college beat writer could get married in the middle of college baseball season. <laughs> but that's what I did. Damn you, Internet. You know, but that's what happened. Yeah. I got married in May in 2000 and missed. I just missed a whole week of the college baseball season. And uh, it didn't really matter. But now I think we'd uh, fire you if you did that. I'm, I'm kidding. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it's kind of ridiculous to really think about. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast with John and, uh, and Aaron. And, uh, Fitzy, the rest of our, our rankings, we didn't have a ton of change in the rankings. Uh, we talked about Arkansas coming into the back. We talked about UCLA. Uh, the most interesting other series seemed like it was Oklahoma State and TCU because, again, we're talking about it in this uh, rankings uh, and looking at it through that prism. And it's not a guarantee that either of those teams will host a regional, but TCU certainly strengthened its regional hosting case by winning that series in Stillwater. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that was a huge series for those guys, a must win for them. And now I think they're, you know, I think they're back in the mix because uh, you compare them to those those Big 12 teams that they're probably competing for a hosting spot with. TCU is now nine and four against the Big 12. Um, so that looks pretty good. Uh, you know, they they. They've got a little work to do still. They're 27 in the RPI. I mean, you know, that you compare them with Arkansas, for instance, at 15. Um, that's a tough sell, you know, for the committee that leans on the RPI as much as it does. Um, but uh, I like their resume. I, I love their talent. Um, I watched the game on, on Sunday on, on, on TV, and uh, I think TCU's offense is really finding a rhythm right now. I, Seems I like, like it. I like their approach a lot. They did a great job shooting the gaps and um, a lot of hard line drives out of that team. And, and I'll tell you, the wind was howling out to left field. And it was a classic sloppy, windy Sunday game in, in Stillwater. Um, and so when they were up 7-1, to one, you, you didn't know if it was really secure. And, and Frank Anderson even said in the in-game interview on TV, uh, you know, with the wind howling out like that, we're still in this thing. And, and sure enough, you know, the Cowboys came storming back and tied that thing up at 7, but – uh, then finally, TCU took advantage of the wind in, in the 10th with the, the game-winning home run. But um, I'll tell you, TCU is doing this right now without two of their, their three studs in the weekend rotation. We know Perk's out. Now they're out without uh, Stephen Maxwell, their senior right-hander. He's got some, some biceps soreness. Never want to hear that. No. Um, but, uh, you know, and that to me is the biggest difference in TCU from last year to this year is all of a sudden now you've got to have Eric Miller – moving into Saturday role where he's been really good. And, and Andrew Mitchell, instead of being your shutdown closer or your you know dominant midweek guy, he has to move into weekend rotation. Um, it, it depletes the entire staff depth, you know, and, and they were barely hanging on there on Sunday with Stephen Crichton, who's, uh, who's, you know, he's got a good arm. He's a nice little freshman, but um, you'd rather have more experience back there. They, they, they had a lot more experience in the bullpen last year, a lot more depth in the bullpen, and that was the biggest difference for me. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a big difference, and if they get Matt Perk back, that obviously uh, that that would help a lot. <laughs> that would be a big yeah. factor for TCU. Then they might be who we thought they were coming into the year. Um, Aaron, I also wanted to before we wrap up the podcast, uh, we've got another podcast question. Um, why don't we go ahead and take the podcast question, then talk a little Conference USA, and then we'll get out. But uh, Nathan Shelton wants to know uh, what do you think the chances of Sam Houston State will be to get an at-large bid 
uh, especially if they go uh, deep in the uh, Southland Conference Tournament. Matt Shelton has thrown well enough this year to put them into contention. It's also uh, Coach Mark Johnson's last year, and they're 4-0 against the Big 12 and split their weekday series against Rice. Uh, so Nathan Shelton makes a compelling case for Sam Houston State, uh, or is his case less compelling than maybe I think it is? It makes a nice little case. I mean, I, they're right back in the mix. They're in the, uh, they're not, I think they're number 52 in the latest uh, Warren Nolan RPI. Um, you know, sweeping Stephen F. Austin was huge for them. I mean, Stephen F. Austin was in first place. Um, not huge for them in the RPI because Stephen F. Austin is 112 in the RPI. But uh, still, I mean, they needed that series, uh, especially after having lost the previous two weekends against Nickel State in southeastern Louisiana. They lost those two series. Um, so, they've, you know, they've got work to do. They're on the bubble. But I like their talent. I like the way they play. Uh, Coach Johnson loves the the new bats and the, the new style of coaching. You know the small ball and manufacturing runs. He, it's right up his alley. He really uh, enjoys it, and his team plays that way. They've got athleticism uh, up the middle. You know they've got a uh, some speed and some speed in that lineup with Ryan Mooney and Mark Hudson. And uh, you know Hudson really tracks it down out there in center field. Um, you know, and he mentioned Shelton, who's a nice senior uh, atop that rotation. You know, he's a, a deceptive. 88-90 kind of guy, uh, really competes, got a good late breaking ball with some bite. Um, you know, I, I think they're dangerous, but they, they need to they need to finish strong if they're going to get that large. Uh, you know, Central Arkansas this weekend, not a good RPI series. Um, there's no margin for error for, for Sam Houston. They probably need to win the at-large. Is that, is that a, a, bid, a league that's right now looking like a one-bid league uh, if Texas State wins the conference tournament? Is there – it sounds like they're you – know, Southeastern Louisiana and Sam Houston State are your yeah. most likely – at-large teams, and neither one of them has necessarily got a slam-dunk case. Yeah, Southeastern took a step back this weekend, losing two out of three to Nichols State. Uh, giant killer Nichols State. They're playing the spoiler role here. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that hurts them a lot. I think uh, both of those teams right now are, are probably on the bubble-out category. Um, but, um, you know, strong last two weeks and strong conference tournament, maybe they got a chance at an at-large. We'll see if Nickel State can keep playing Giant Killer because, they, they, like you said, they won two out of three against Sam Houston. They just won two out of three with Sela, and now they've got Texas State for three at, at uh, Texas State. So uh, see if that can maintain, uh, you know, that pace can be maintained uh, <laughs> by, by Nickel State. The Colonels, I don't think we usually think of the Colonels as a spoiler. Uh, let's wrap up with Conference USA, Aaron, because – Again, you got to get to 64 somehow, uh, but Conference USA making it very difficult for that league to get, you know, maybe four or five bids like we talked about, because those some of those bubble teams are just not helping themselves. Southern Miss complete yeah. control of the league, two game lead on Rice, um, and they swept UAB in impressive fashion this weekend. You know, Southern Miss is Southern Miss. Uh, Tom McInnes, who missed uh, he missed a week with a shoulder. You know, last weekend, Aaron, they actually had him slotted to start Sunday. Yeah. And uh, talking to Chad Kaye, their assistant coach, they were ready to start him Sunday. But when they won each of the first two games at East Carolina, they decided just to not pitch him all weekend and rest him for the rest of the year because they already had the series won. So he, he was healthy enough to start last weekend. They just gave him an extra day of rest. And they almost won that series, but they ended, ended up uh, almost swept that series ended up dropping that Sunday game. But that tells you, I think, a little bit about their pitching depth and that they didn't feel the need to start Todd McKinnis. They thought it was more important to get that, uh, I guess he's a fifth-year senior, and we know he's a little guy. He's always had durability issues. Uh, they gave him a little bit more time. Uh, so McKinnis uh, took a week off and was very good this weekend. So Rice better. The Owls are playing much better. They're second in the league. East Carolina 
by the skin of its teeth, wins a, a series against Marshall. A lot of close games there, but but ECU has a good RPI, and they're they're the number three team in the in the conference. Uh, I think they're the, they're secure, like probably like going to be a third seed in a regional somewhere, unless they collapse down the stretch. Who's the fourth team there? Who's the the fourth regional team in Conference USA? You know, it it might still be UCF, and you know, I know that they're seven eleven. They're down toward the bottom of that league. Yeah, they're We've an eighth. About they're they're in eighth place in that league. We've talked about though how the committee doesn't really care that much about your conference standings as You're long right. as not horrible. I mean, they are still you know within four games of five hundred in the league. Uh, RPI is twenty eight. They've got two wins against Florida. Is that right? Uh, I think that's right. They're two and zero against Florida in midweek action. That's huge for them. Florida's number one in the RPI, I believe, in the, at least on Warren Nolan. Um, you know, they, they are as I well think, on Boyd. I think winning a road game at Florida State this weekend. I mean, you know, if you go win one out of three at Florida State, that's what they needed to do. Um, you know, I, as much as you and I talk about winning weekend series, the committee doesn't. You know, we talked about that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I think they still got a shot. I mean, it's the last two weekends are manageable. Huge series at UAB this weekend. Uh, that's make or break for their season, I think. I think so too. UAB is a uh, you know well below them in the RPI. Um, so like if UAB takes care of business and sweeps that series, for example, at home, I don't think that clinches anything for UAB. I think UAB would have to really you know finish very strong. Um, you know, the last couple of weeks of the year, they finish at Utah, which is not going to help their RPI. They're at Jacksonville State, home and home this week in a midweek. And I think losing that series of two lanes is really the killer for UAB. Uh, to me, UAB is going to have to win the tournament or really make noise. Yeah. But they've got a couple of sweeps in the league. Really, their last four league series, they got swept by Memphis, lost at Tulane, lost at Southern Miss. In the middle of that, they won that home series against Rice. Uh, but really, the, you know, the, a couple of sweeps, the Memphis sweep and, and the and the Southern Miss sweep, uh, just those sweeps, I think, just they're they're killers. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and and then Houston getting swept this weekend, Aaron probably does not help. I I don't think we thought Houston had a really strong case anyway. Memphis, uh, you know, Houston's under 500. Memphis, I don't think we think Tulane. Does Tulane still have an at-large shot? You know, Tulane, I think over the last two weeks has kind of put itself back in the conversation. They they I had kind of dismissed them, you know, with all the injuries and they had lost uh, a couple of series in a row there against Rice and Utah and they got swept by Houston. But now all of a sudden. They they won two out of three against UAB last week. They won two out of three against Memphis. They're they're back up to twenty eight and twenty overall. And head you know, to head, he, they won two of three at Central Florida. So if it comes down, yeah. I mean, I know the RPI difference is pretty significant, but it seems like Tulane's RPI, unless they're except, except for the years when they're great, their RPI is always in the fifties. It's just like no matter right. what they do, their RPI is in the fifties. Again, the the only real negative on their uh, on their resume is. They don't have a great positive, but they also – they got swept by Houston, you know. But uh, they did win a series at Ole Miss early. They won a series against Wichita State, which doesn't have a great RPI, but it's still a named school. Right. Um, and they really – and they haven't been swept except for that one sweep by Houston. So it seems like if they could win at Marshall and then you know, win that series on the road and then win a series against East Carolina, I kind of like Tulane's chances to be that fourth team for me because yeah. it, if it comes down to them at UCF, the only thing UCF has over them is uh, RPI. But the other factors, what they did in their conference and then the head-to-head, that being in, in Orlando, th- those factors are going to help Tulane. So it, it's, um, it's For UCF, it's RPI, and it's also a few more – uh, top-notch wins. You know, we talked about the Florida and Florida State. I mean, UCF's now nine and ten against the top fifty, and, and Tulane is six and nine. So there's a little bit of an edge there. It's not a huge edge. 
those are the things that those are things that those are the components that make UCF. That's why UCF's RPI is higher than two lanes. Right. Exactly. You're right. Yeah. Those. Those. But I think that head-to-head might might really help Tulane if it comes down to those two teams. It would be difficult, I think, to be in that room and to say Tulane went to Orlando, won that series. How are you going to put UCF? The rest of the body of work isn't overwhelming. Isn't that much better? I mean, you don't you don't boil the whole season down to one weekend. But it, all other things being fairly equal. I think you got to take Tulane there. I I think maybe you're right, but I I, don't, I just don't think the committee looks at it that way. I just don't think they care as much about who wins the head-to-head series as you and I do. And and you know obviously we disagree with that approach. We think that the RPI is is too heavily valued, and that they should look more at the entire picture. But uh, I just don't think they do. The part of your the part of your schedule that you can't control, I think, matters more to me than the part yeah. of the schedule that you can control. Um, because I don't think you, you can try to schedule – you can try to put together a competitive schedule, and you can't com- control how good those other schools are from year to year. Like Fresno, like you said, they thought they were putting together a really good schedule this year. It just didn't work out that those teams ended up being in the top 25. They've been fairly strong. Uh, or same thing with UCLA. You know, UCLA thought, okay, we're going to Nebraska. That's going to look really good on our resume. Well, they lost the Series A, and Nebraska hasn't been very good this year B. Um, so those, you know, you, they thought they were putting together a good schedule. Um, so that, to me, that's why I actually completely disagree with the, with the committee. They seem like they factor in non-conference as much or more than what happens in conference. And I just think that's backwards. I mean, the part that you can't control, uh, to me matters more. Um, and not a whole lot more. But a little bit more because that's uh, again it's out of your control. You have to play those games, and everyone in the league generally plays, especially in a league like Conference USA where they play a true round robin. Right. Um, the kind of the flaw, the fly in the ointment there, Aaron, to use a inside joke phrase, is uh, you know that in, in a league like the ACC where oh we didn't see them this year. You know that's another part where you don't control who you don't play. You know right. that, when those things rotate around, and that's kind of the difficult part of that uh, of that conversation. I, and I can understand. If that's a reason why you're in a committee meeting and they don't value the conference record as much as maybe I would, I, I can understand that being their reason for that. But uh, for me, I think conference record matters. Uh, that's what everybody plays for. You put your best starters on the weekend, and uh, you know, w- with rare Todd McInnes exceptions like we just talked about. Um, but I think I think that you you know, teams want to win weekend series. I mean, look at Southern Miss. Hey, we already won the weekend series. We're going to go ahead and rest Todd McInnes. You know, I mean, right, that's, right. that's how the coaches think, and I think you got to take that into account when you're putting the 64 team field together. So, don't envy you doing the uh, the uh, we'll, we'll end the podcast. I don't envy you doing the stock report, Aaron. But uh, this week's stock mm-hmm. report, and talk a little bit about what what do people have to look forward to this week from uh, on BaseballAmerica.com with our college baseball coverage. Oh, we've got uh, all kinds of of uh, draft features now lined up. I'm not sure which one we're going to post tomorrow. We'll have to figure that out. But we've got on the way in the next couple of weeks. We've got features on Taylor Youngman, Mike Mata, Preston Tucker, uh, and Ricky Oropesa. So get those to look forward to. Stock report on Wednesday. Weekend preview Thursday. Uh, usual stuff here at uh, BA. Yeah, stock report on Wednesday. I think that's the one that uh, if you're not already reading it. Um... I think Aaron dispenses with, you know, figuring out where everyone's going to get shipped to, and just focuses on who's in and who's out. And I, I like that approach myself because uh, where they get shipped to, really, you can't really know that until the conference tournaments happened and and you figure out the uh, you know the hosts. But I think we all know geography plays a huge part in that, so you can kind of figure that kind of part out yourself. But I love just the who's in, the who who's out of uh, uh, putting together a bracket like that, and that's why I like our. Uh, 
our approach with the stock report. So, Aaron, again, great stuff. Thanks so much for uh, all your time. And we thank you all at home or on your iPod for the download, whether you do it at BaseballAmerica.com or iTunes. We'll be back next week with more college baseball talk here on the Baseball America podcast. For Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. Until next time, so long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.